how do they know the validity of that and the strength of that company's offering? Um, you know, how are you supposed to do this today? So you're not going to call Fred because he's going to sell you the dream. So how do you do it today? You're going to either call your, well, you can search on Google. Good luck with that. We all know how that ends up. Um, you can ask your peers in your network, which is always a great place. There's all these fantastic WhatsApp groups all over the all over the globe, um, and they're centered and focused around security professionals and practitioners and CISOs. Listening to KBCast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Tanesh, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here today because you have, in fact, moved to the land down under, as many international friends refer to Australia. And you've actually flown into the country and it's been raining most of the time. So I can assure you that Australia mostly is sunny and warm. So I wanted to apologize in advance for the weather. And I know it's definitely been a little bit of a shift from where you've come from. And we are going to be focusing on your journey in the cybersecurity professional services space today. But before we dive on into the specifics of that, we always like to start a podcast off with talking about you and your journey. So please, Dinesh, tell the tell listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you've been up to. Sure. So thank you for welcoming me to the show. And also, um, it has been raining a lot. And I'm still trying to convince my family that, you know, that we are going to be staying here permanently and we are not going to be going back to London, which I've heard is getting dark at 3.30 in the afternoon and it's miserable and cold. So actually looking out the window right now, it's really nice and sunny. So it actually has turned out to be quite um, a nice setup actually for the girls and I. So that's our move and that's us over here. Um, a little bit about me. I've been in cybersecurity for coming up to 18 years now, uh, most of which I have been a corporate guy and been working for startups as well as uh, a whole bunch of very, very large uh, cybersecurity managed service providers and software companies. But before that, I was um, I, I actually started my career a long time ago where I came out of university. Um, with a, a very simple business um, degree, and I did information systems in there. It was very specific and very straightforward back then. And I did a little bit of a stint in private banking for a UK bank called Barclays, which everybody probably knows. However, that didn't really agree with me. The hours weren't very flexible, and I, I found the people a little bit too um, out there for me. So after two months of doing that, I decided um, I wanted to stop uh, my very, very short career in private banking and decided to look for work in uh, the technology space, which has always been something I quite liked. But at that point, I didn't know it was going to be cyber that I was going to fall in love with. So I found a software company in, in the south of London, which is where we were living at the time. And I got myself into one of these graduate programs as a sales guy, a very, very young sales guy. I had one of those very, very large brick mobiles. I don't know if you remember them. They were like huge. Um, I had a shiny suit and a little sales car and I was given a, a, a territory to go and sell this amazing, very simple address verification software into. And it was fun. It was, it was a nice way to start my career into technology. Um, but however, I hadn't really 
made a choice of whether I wanted to stay in that space or, you know, look elsewhere. So I did that for a few years and then moved into um, who we all know now is Gartner, the, one of the world's biggest research firms, if not the biggest. And it actually, it was in Gartner where I really started to pre- appreciate the value of sort of um, data and research, but also I started enjoying um, seeing this thing called IT security merge because it wasn't called cyber back then. It was just called IT security or data security or network security. And also having that inside view, which Gartner does on the market, helped me make my first move into what we now know as cyber. And I subsequently got my first role working again in sales for um, an antivirus company based here in the UK. Sorry based there in the UK. I'm over here now, aren't I? Um, and that really um, helped me decide, actually, I want to spend uh, the rest of my career or some, <laughs> the future part of it working in this thing called IT security or what we now know as cyber. And I fell in love with IT security. And over time, um, along with the industry, my career grew. Uh, working and and as I said, working for some of the largest managed service providers, so Wipro, Fujitsu, HP. I was fortunate enough to work for some of these large companies, um, and there were a sprinkle of some startups. I really started to appreciate how broad cybersecurity was, how complex it was, and how important it was. And you know, I think only recently I started to call myself a cyber hero when I'd go out and meet people because you genuinely felt like you were making a difference, and that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I did for the next sort of 15 years. And then after that, it was quite simple. One January morning, I, I, it's funny, actually, it was after we came back from Australia, we came to, we came here on holiday about three years ago, four years ago, I can't remember, it seems like a long time ago. And um, uh, we had a wonderful holiday here, we came back to London, and I got made redundant. And I left Baker Street, the Baker Street office, and I, I could have turned right and updated my CV and got another job, but I decided to turn left and decided to start my own cybersecurity firm, which is what I have today. It's my own uh, startup. And that was, what, five years ago. So today I am a, a proud owner of my own cybersecurity firm. Um, and uh, again, it comes with its own sets of challenges, but that's, that, that's my journey so far. Wow, what a journey that has been. So 18 years in the industry. So you probably would have seen what quite a few shifts in the space so you talked before in your earlier days with a sales car and a suit and all those types of things can you sort of maybe even highlight or illuminate some of those pivotal moments where you saw a significant shift in how people were buying products and services perhaps yeah absolutely I mean look one one thing we can all agree on before I kind of go into how it's kind of changed is the you know, the cyber technology vendors and service providers, you know, that that particular market has grown. And when I say grown, I mean, it's exploded. You know, threat vectors um, and the way breach attacks happen now are becoming arguably more sophisticated. Uh, They're more complex. Um, And we as a company have seen thousands of security vendors emerge into the market over the last decade. And these are all good, by the way, because they all come into the market with well-meaning solutions and niche solutions and and all offering to help to try and combat these new challenges. However, coming to your question, that does create a completely different customer journey um, and it has consequently become more complex. And in all honesty, with so many vendors entering the market, 
you kind of feel sorry for the customer because, you know, a lot of them, they don't actually often know where to begin, how to find some of these suppliers, how to validate their solution, um, the, the suppliers offering. The challenge is, um, and also with, you know, recent events of COVID, I can't wear that shiny suit anymore and go visit um, these clients and these customers. You know, it's all done digitally now and it's all done over Teams and WebExes. And, and that loses a little bit of that um, ability for the customers to potentially validate some of that information because you, you really want to touch and feel and see the whites of a lot of the the technical people and you want to look into their eyes and understand some of this stuff and how it works. So that's one thing that's changed fundamentally. And we all know that we've all been impacted to that, whether you're in cyber or not. But with different people in, in, in the buying cycle now, for example, you've got procurement managers, program managers, different business functions, all with a different lens on and different requirements. The process of looking for and finding the right supplier can be very, very time-consuming. And if the customer can gets it wrong, it can also be very, very costly. So that initial networking piece that we all used to have, that I used to have, and it wasn't so long ago, you know, the, the, the market is going to recover and people are going to get back into their cars and their shiny suits and whatnot and go visit. I mean, I know that um, in London, InfoSec has started again. And I, in fact, I've even been invited to my first um, Christmas uh, awards dinner here out in Sydney, um, which I'm quite looking forward to going. And people will start reconnecting. But, it, you know, it, it's still very, very difficult to have any real in-depth conversation with these suppliers, whether in whichever, you know, whether they're based in Sydney, whether they're based in London, anywhere, because suppliers come from all over the place, you know, to really get a true handle of what they really offer and how they offer it and if it's even right for me without really talking to your peers and or, uh, you know, somebody's had experience of that vendor. So it has changed. It's changed massively. And it's going to continue to change because there's so many more vendors coming into the market. Yeah, so that's interesting. Uh, I agree with all your points 100%. And I think it's going to increase in terms of the distance that we have between, uh, I don't know, rolling up to someone's office randomly and saying, hey, you want a demo? Like that's changed a lot now. So one of the things I'd like to sort of go into is the customer's journey a little bit more because you have just sort of rattled off a whole bunch of thoughts, but also, like you said, there's more vendors, there's more system integrators, there's there's more professional services firms. Like I think whenever the last RSA was, was, I don't know, two years ago, 2019, there was like 2,000 plus security vendors. That's a lot of vendors. That's a lot. And that's the people that attended. What about the people that didn't attend? And so I'm curious to know, like, how does this how does this work? Because you've got your the vendors that are RSA, you got your vendors outside of that, you've got more vendors coming out to market. And I know this because I work with a lot of startups because you've got private equity flowing around left, right, and center. They want to invest in invest in cybersecurity companies. So like how how does this work though? Because it just feels overwhelming for me. And I'm in this space and I am talking to these guys. If I remove myself and put myself in a buyer's journey when their whole sort of philosophy is to, oh, you know, we're going to do cybersecurity, keep the lights on. They're not thinking about looking at vendors and doing analysis and all of that. So I'm just curious on how's this going to go long term? It's it's only going to get more and more. I mean, just listening to you talk that through and that, and we're talking as professionals within the industry and it's kind of daunting for us. If you just put yourself now in a buyer's position, um, 
you know, and we can break out, you know, a buyer's journey before and a buyer's journey now, because that's also compounded by different things. It is quite scary, um, you know, and with thousands of vendors out in the market, it, it can almost become impossible. I think in the past, it was a little bit more simpler. I mean, if I go back to when I had my first role with uh, the antivirus company, it was quite simple, right? It was like antivirus, firewall, database, security, and that was really it. And there were a handful of household names that you could turn to for that solution. You would call up the, um, I'm now going to call him the guy in the shiny suit because I like that. <laughs> You'd call up, you know, the guy in the shiny suit and he'd either be working directly for the company or for a reseller. And you would say what your requirements are. You'd kind of say what your problems were, but they were simpler then. You get your quote and off you go, right? But now um, it's it, it's become even more complex. And I think company challenges are more complex, you know, with sort of, Many of these companies moving are, are, are either on or moving towards some kind of digital transformation journey. They're either application driven, and I know firsthand how hard that is having a, a company that lives on applications. Uh, and then also there's this word called cloud, right? And everybody's either going to be moving to the cloud or thinking about the cloud or putting their data somewhere in the cloud. And that brings its own set of buying complexities. So that journey has become even more complex. But it doesn't just stop there. It, it becomes even more uh, compounded by a company's own uh, governance processes or a, they may have set to regulations, for example, if they're in finance, that they need to adhere to, which makes looking for the perfect supplier almost, I mean, I've got to be careful how I say this, but almost and now an impossible because there are so many suppliers out there now. And in addition to that, you know, these suppliers, they are also coming out with um, industry-specific solutions, industry or sector-specific uh, solutions around, you know, enterprise-only or their SME-only focus. So that coupled with all of the sort of your own sort of priorities and requirements, it, it, it gets very, very, um, it, can, can, it can become quite scary. I mean, just talking it through here, I'm listening to this myself thinking, how scary is that for you to then to go out there and think, I've got to go out there, find those solutions, make sure it's correct. And that's now. Um, I, I am sure it was complicated back then, but it was a lot more simpler. Um, and, and now, you know, we've got young folk and who are very, very smart and out there and be able to do um, some crazy things to your organization as far as attacking and breaching. And, that, you know, and, and it's organized crime now. It, it makes it very, very difficult because you've got that pressure on as well. So I think it, it's changed. Well, I know it's changed massively, um, you know, with, with all of these th different moving parts that are where all the different buyers are seeing. Yeah, I mean, you're so right because, you know, even going back a few years ago, there definitely wasn't the amount of variety and options as there is now. And I mean... Would you say, now there's two ways to look at this. You've got your big players being around a long time and there's that old saying like no one ever got fired for buying X company. Now that still exists. However, a lot of people are starting to move away from big players because they're like, well, we can't get the specificity in the service. Perhaps they're too big. They're a bit sort of old and dinosaur-like. It's hard to get the velocity behind them. So I'm sort of seeing two very opposite ends of the spectrum. But then also speaking to customers, it's like, well, I've just looked at 10 companies. To be honest, they sort of do much of a muchness. So how do I delineate between who's best in breed and who should be the company that I go for? So are you sort of seeing that as well? So the first question is, are people just reliant on big companies that have always been there? And two, 
how does a startup sort of get in there to potentially not overturn a big player, but have some option where they may be a better option in terms of uh, capability? And are people looking to the smaller companies to solve their problems? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not going to name the, the the CISO and the, the the name of the company, but I was talking to somebody about eight nine months ago, a CISO, and we were talking about you know um, my, my platform and just a few things around how they search for cybersecurity companies and all of that stuff. And he turned around and he said to me, "Well, you know, I've got Semantic. I'm fine. <laughs> this is one of the biggest companies in the UK." And I didn't know what to say to that. I've got semantic. I'm fine. Um, it, it, I just couldn't understand that statement. It, it, it's almost like they'd put everything into one large vendor. And that one large vendor was somehow going to... Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with semantic, by the way. <laughs> but he just said semantic. It's just it, it, the whole context of what he said it. But for me, it was you're placing your entire... Um, cyber security technology requirements onto one vendor. And one of the things I've always said in the past is you can't put all your eggs in one basket. We all know this because there's not a single provider out there that actually does, um, you know, hit every single requirement you will have. There just isn't. You need to, you know, hedge your bets, spread your bets rather, and you need to make sure that you know, you, you, that risk is spread across multiple vendors. But also, you know, it's a really good question because arguably the mature and large organizations, and this was one, a very large organization, you know, they actually do have the right skilled people in the organization who know what they're looking for. They've got the experience. They know what to buy. They know what price to buy it for. They know where to buy it. Um, and, you know, in that same organization, I, we, we, I, ha- I was fortunate enough to be able to talk to the procurement lead there. And they said to me that they would never look at a supplier that was sub two years old, regardless of how amazing their technology was. And that's just the way it was for them. So there is this thing around, you know, Gartner top right, um, or, you know, no one's going to get fired for having the big four beside you and making that decision. And that's fine. And that, but I think the world is changing, um, you know, especially with all these transformations going on, remote working, you know, even the larger companies, they just simply do not have the offerings for, um, you know, to help um, accommodate these changes that are happening so rapidly. So that's one thing. But the other thing we've got to remember, it's enterprises aren't, you know, they, yes, while, you know, they, they uh, we all turn to enterprises for our business. Actually, the lion's share of companies around the globe, I think it's 70% of companies in the UK are SME. I don't know the number for Australia yet, but I will have it for you next time. But they they, you know, they won't have the buying maturity experience or even access to third-party research, like, for example, from Forrester and IDC and all of that. They don't even have the people internally who are connected to somebody in a networking group or have a peer in IT security to be able to get the answer they're looking for. So they are taking a, a much more of a, how would I call it, a drive-by approach and often ending up making very costly purchases because they've just been sold to, right, by a very, very good person. And 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 that's that's not great because we hear of that happening a lot. And then you get all of this technology, which is actually good. It does work. It just wasn't sold in properly it wasn't delivered in properly it wasn't um you know it it may have done 
what it said on the box from a technology perspective, but actually the company buying it didn't know that it required a whole bunch of heavy lifting from an engineering side to help even switch it on and deliver it and tune it. And, and, and it's just simply not meeting you know, the, the requirements that were set out in the first place. So I think it, it's a good question because I think it depends on the size of organization, the size of the company, maturity of the company, whether they've got complex procurement teams and or if they are smaller companies and who are often also more important and more open to new innovative technologies, uh, which is the other thing, which is what the SME market does go for. They will take that uh, leap of faith on a newer vendor or newer uh, technology company because uh, the cost efficiencies are there. You know, they're all subscription-based companies. Now. There's a lot of those coming up now. And it's not just those big, you know, it's going to cost you half a million pounds right off the bat and it's a three-year deal. And, you know, I think those those days are going Um we hear about them, but we don't. I just, I know, you know, we've got our pulse fairly, fairly on the ground with this stuff. They just don't seem to be moving in that space, or we don't hear them as often. Um, I think it, it's moving more towards sort of, you know, the smaller buying cycles and the more subscription-based stuff. So, lots of different ways to answer that question because I think it's such a big, complex question as well, Carissa. Well, a friend of mine, she is a very seasoned salesperson in the industry in the industry so she's probably got I don't know 30 plus 35 years of experience and one day this was years ago I asked her what's the largest deal you've ever done and she said I did a 33 million dollar deal I was like do you still see the size of those deals she's like not anymore and it's to your point which I understand it's hard for one big company to do, be good at everything to be a 10 at every single thing that's why they go to this company do x this company to do this you know, 10 different streams. So, so would you say that just by how the market is moving because companies want to spread out the capability of outsourcing it to the person that only does this one thing, but they're a 10 at it, would you say it's going to potentially start to dislodge some of these other bigger players? Now, not due to because they don't necessarily want to work with them, but just because of capability purposes? Yeah, I think it will move that way. And I think Large organizations are starting to see that as well, that, you know, we, we do have to look at innovation. We do have to look at, um, you know, do horizon scanning. We do need to see, you know, what will help us um, faster and quicker and more cost effectively. But I just don't think they're there yet. You know, I mean, I, we speak to enough large organizations and they still have those same old processes. Um Yes, they are looking at, you know, they are spreading their risk across uh, multiple vendors. But at the same time, I do understand where they're coming from as well, because if they spread their, you know, um, technology stack and their requirements across different vendors, they're also, they've got more contracts to put in place. They're more open to SLA breaches. Um, they have to do more due diligence and validation on those companies as well. And that takes time and resource as well, because yes, that innovative company and supplier may be able to you know, hit that requirement, but because they may be young, because they may be a startup, they may not meet other important criteria or, or high criteria, should I say, that is set by these companies, and especially when in the sort of financial um, parts of the business and the procurement parts of the business, that these companies will never get a look in, even though they'll make, you know, they'll make the grade all day long. So it, 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 I think it's different, you know, different 
ways of looking out into the market for different companies. Also, if they're actually something else that just popped into my head, you know, if they're regulated heavy as well, if you've got a financial services company and depending on what they're housing and if they're regulated and they've got their own governance and their own frameworks to kind of adhere to, then again, you know, that technology provider may not meet that criteria. And as we all know, there's a whole bunch of cybersecurity questionnaires going out everywhere at the moment, not just to uh, vendors, but also to um, other companies and partners and third party suppliers and all of that. So meeting those requirements also adds to, you know, the uphill challenge for a lot of these innovative smaller startups that really are very, very cool, but they just simply won't ever meet that quite, you know, heavy regulated, quite long, arduous procurement process, sadly, um, until they get to a certain stage and a certain maturity level themselves. Uh, and, and, and that, again, only comes with time and a leap of faith from the customer into their technology in the first place. Yeah, I definitely understand what you're saying. Now, in Australia, I believe they are trying to change. If you're a company, you've been around in five seconds. They are trying to change that. It's in order to build innovation in Australia or else after a while, if people can't get bigger contracts as a startup, they're like, well, there's no point in doing it, right? So they, I think they are trying to relax some of those procurement process. I mean, how how is that going? I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I think people are speaking about the industry um, to give diversity of different companies as well, not just the one big player like gouging everyone necessarily. Um, and so the other thing is, I mean, I was on a podcast interview today and I was interviewing another guy in the US and he was sort of saying like companies claim X or Y on their website or their marketing, but then they actually don't do that in reality. So I guess it sort of create and people know that in the industry, right? Like, come, like vendor will claim X and everyone's like, yeah, okay, prove it to us. So would you say because people perhaps don't have that uh, granular view behind the curtain on how that product really works, perhaps there's that apprehension there or it slows it down because it's like, oh, well, you can't claim that. Oh, prove it to me. How, how do you actually, like maybe there's not enough challenging going on in the space because anyone can make claims about X, Y, and Z, like those um, dieting pills. It's like, oh, you take the pill, you lose weight. That's fundamentally flawed. That's not a thing. You have to exercise and eat healthy. You don't take pills and you lose weight. People bought it though. So I guess it sort of goes back to you can claim whatever you want, but is the reality of what you're claiming, do you have the technical chops to back it up? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love that. And and it's exactly where the world is moving to um do you you know and it's not just our industry you know there's the golf course and people go and do deals on golf courses and you may have had a relationship with you know fred and fred's company was good and they delivered and you quite like fred and then fred moves on and he joins another company and you buy that product because of fred which is and it still happens fred's bought you a lovely meal somewhere. He's maybe flown you over to South of France or somewhere exotic and shown you his, his uh, you know, taken you to the technical center and you've just had a, an amazing time. You're so, um, what's that saying is I think it's rose tinted goggles on and, you know, Glasses, you don't see, is it, what did I say? Goggles. Goggles <laughs> okay. are fine. Glasses, Glasses, goggles, same thing. But yeah. Goggles, glasses. And, and we all get swayed by that. And whether it's buying a new car or whether it's buying 
the kettle or whether it's buying something you know as complicated as a cybersecurity product um, or service you know we, we can all get swayed by that however um, that 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 does happen and I wish it wouldn't but it still does and it's going to continue to happen that's just the way of the world right? that's what relationships are and that's what it is however that has uh, that will speed up the process somewhat but I quite like it when the process is slowed down somewhat. I think that's a good thing. It must be a good thing, surely, right? Because, and I think it's harder for breach companies, for example. Let's, let's just take a breach company for a minute. It'll be even harder for them to select the right vendor, right? Because of the pressure from the board, the investors, the market. However, companies who have a roadmap and are building a security and as a part of the sort of phase plan of that and the strength um, of that, they should take offering. their time. Those guys can um, you know, take their time. How are you supposed to do this today? So you're not going to call Fred because he's going to sell you the dream. So how do you do it today? You're going to either call your, well, you can search on Google. Good luck with that. We all know how that ends up. Um, you can ask your peers in your network, which is always a great place. There's all these fantastic WhatsApp groups all over the all over the globe, um, and they're centered and focused around security professionals and practitioners and CISOs. And that's a good place to start. I, I genuinely believe it is because they're your peers. They'll know of the technology or, or someone in the group will have heard of it. And you'll get a, you know, a good basic understanding of you know, whether it's worked or not worked. But you know, it comes back to what we talked about initially. My budget is going to be different to yours, Carissa. I may have a budget of £10 and the guy I'm asking, you know, the guy getting the feedback on the WhatsApp group may have a budget of £10 million. They may be in a different sector. Their network will be set up different. The whole infrastructure may be set up differently. So it's not as simple as just asking your mates and saying, hey, you know, I'm thinking about buying, you know, Tanesh's firewall. Um, is it any good? You'll get a view, but that view still comes with a slight imbalance because it's 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 catered to my ex own experience of that technology. So then, where and how do we 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 find this information and how do we validate that information? And that's where the problem becomes. And when you do start opening up that um, that que those questions, it leads on to other questions like, okay, um, you know, if I put my procurement hat on for a minute, what's the financial stability of this company? You know, and and in, and you know, you we've all seen it, especially in our industry, in light of all the recent sort of breaches that have happened to cybersecurity companies themselves. You know, what's their own security posture like, right? So, it it becomes a it becomes more complex than just picking up the call and having the conversation with Fred and then with somebody in, um, you know, the technical team, you know, because it's a whole bunch of things that provides that true reflection of that company's um, capabilities that go beyond just the, you know, the sort of service or the technical part that they're offering and that whether that will hit the, um, you know, the requirement because, you know, you don't know, they may not be around next year or the year after. So it's, it's quite complex. It's quite scary as well because there's so many thousands of these guys out there too, um, and and that all adds to you know that that decision making process. Um, and, and then coming to your point, that that again has simply not been answered. You know, let's challenge the suppliers and ask them straight down, look in the whites of their eyes, and say, does your product does does your product or service do this, or does it not? You know, technically or from a service provision perspective. What does it do or doesn't it do? And and let's just have that open and frank conversation because, especially with the smaller companies, you know these budgets aren't great. They're not big, and if they've been breached, you know they have to find the money from different pockets of the business, and it actually can be quite painful. We've seen it firsthand. We've experienced it firsthand. Um, as a startup, we've experienced it. You know it, these budgets 
they you, it, they are always going to be difficult to kind of find. So then to be able to repurpose some of that budget, which will be maybe used for sales or marketing or growth or development, you've then got to put that into security. You want to make sure that the supplier you're talking to can absolutely or certainly come close to delivering what they said they can deliver um, on many levels. So one of the things that keeps coming up in my mind as you speak is hypothetically, you got the WhatsApp group, I message you and say, or I message in the group and you respond saying, hey, I've, I've used this, I don't know, Adrian's firewall company and it's excellent. And so mm-hmm. I go, cool, Tanesh, I value your opinion. I go and chase Adrian up, get all the way down to, I don't know, demo, POC, blah, 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 blah. I waste all this time and then figure out, actually, I don't have the budget for that. Because, I mean, if you speak to a vendor, they're not going to give you a price straight away. It's not like, oh, I want the um, uh, X off the menu, please, and it's $60. That's not how it works. So there's a little bit more involved. So would you say that perhaps people are getting the potential well, they're asking the right questions, but perhaps there there's a disconnect between, well, what you've provided me is not in line with what I need specifically. And so it's hard to compare the oranges to oranges. And then I, as a result, I've just wasted all of my time because I'm so far either beyond or below that vendor's expectation that it didn't work in the end. So I could have saved myself a lot of time potentially what is that sort of what happens because every company like i said is different different stages different budgets different maturity different people involved different blah maybe the sales guy sucked and they didn't like him who knows right (laughs) so it's not so Mm. easy for something like that you know you're not selling widgets you're not selling shampoo there's a little bit more involved into oh well that company's all right they did well for me but they might not be a fit for you yeah, I mean, you're 100% on the money there, right? Because it's all of those things um, which make it that much more harder for us to go and find the right product and the, and the right provider and the right solution, right? Because, it, and, you know, and to add to that, Chris, right, these, some of these vendors, um, and a lot of vendors, actually, that you're, you're so right, they don't put the pricing up there because they're still learning and pivoting with the prices or they don't put it up there because they want to see how much they can get away with. And they say it, it depends, and, right? It's always, well, if I buy like licensing, well, it depends. How many seats do you have? That's going to change. If you've got more seats, it goes right. lower. So no one's going to advertise yeah. it like my pad ties 30 bucks. It's going to be a <laughs> yeah. process. Yeah, that'd be a nice pad tie at 30 bucks, wouldn't it? I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but you're absolutely right. You know, and, and this is why, you know, this emergence of these new subscription based models where everything is transparent. It's on their website. I quite like that. It challenges everybody, it challenges the entire ecosystem of vendors out there because the pricing is already out there. People can see for themselves what is available and and how much it costs. However, as you and we all know this with the larger vendors, it's not so much the case. So, the, you know, they, they want to base it on a bid. They want to be, base it on uh, who the customer is, um, account-based marketing. And, well, they must have spent $10 million here, so they must have $10 million this year on this. That's not always the case. So, you know, because once the product's bought, you know, that large cycle of buying that same technology again kind of goes away for a little bit. It doesn't. It's not there every year. So that definitely adds to the complexity of things. And the other thing we've seen um, <laughs> quite a lot, it does, and I'm I'm quite vocal about it, is I call it vaporware. Um, there's there's just a, a whole bunch of vendors out there and um, suppliers who 
don't actually have the capabilities. And I get it. You know, you want to come across as if you do. And they'll market it as if they do. And their slideware will have, uh, you know, all the capabilities and services that you, th- you know, you think they have. But actually, it's vaporware. And, and a, a little trick I always say to some, I was working with some customers recently, and I said, ask them for some slideware or the mark or, or the service collateral on that particular product or, you know, that particular service. And if it comes back within a day, pretty much they've got the service. But if it takes them two weeks to get that back to you, do you know what? In the background, they're building that capability for you, right? Because oh they just they just don't have it. They just simply don't have that capability. It's based on a requirement that will help fund that development or that technology uh, roadmap, their roadmap, and and they they you know they're not being open and honest about it. Which is, and and by the way, I I I think as an as a smaller company, if you were and a lot of these do do this, and I love it when they do this, they're very upfront with the the client and say, look, no, we don't have it, but if there's a genuine requirement here, and if we can make this happen for you, and you are prepared to, you know, be part of a, a proof of concept or some kind of beta program, and you, you know, we, we'll build it for you with the view to that you buying it from us. And there's like a, a, a gentleman's agreement commercially as well, and it becomes a win-win. Then actually, that's awesome. That's the best way because the client gets what they want specifically, um, and the vendor gets to build a serviced capability for not just that one client, but something they can roll out and. Um, with the wider um, uh, client base as well, or potential client base. So it's really, it's a, such an um, interesting space that we're in because we see all of these things. And because we are quite close to it from, from what we do as a company, you know, we are always challenging the vendors positively, right? You know, because we want vendors to to do well and we want them to build trust with the users and, and, and connect to users because that's what it's about. But at the same time, you know, we want it. We also want there to be transparency about what you really do do and don't do. And and that is, you know, if, if you don't have a network of people around you or you don't have peers in that WhatsApp group or some of these other, you can't afford a, a uh, I can't say the name of the company, even though I just said I worked for them. Um, but if you can't afford a, you know, a license for one of these big research firms to be able to get that report that gives you the insight into these providers, then actually you're 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 left out alone, and it's a very very difficult place for you to then start to go and make those decisions and find these people in the first place, let alone start talking to them, building relationships, and understanding what they do truly. A hundred percent. You've got to know half of these companies, small, medium, even startups, they even exist, right? So many people go, but how do I know they exist? How do I find them? So the other thing is, in fairness to the vendor, if they are channel only, they can't give you a price. Why? Because they go through the partner and the distributor and da, 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 da. And it's going to depend which partner they sell it through, isn't it? Because there's margin in there and it's going to be X point on that and X point on that. So the number is going to change, which then creates another layer of complexity because you've got a fair few people in this uh, chain of command here. Um, and I guess that can potentially put vendors in a precarious situation. It's like, well, I know what my cost price is, but I can't obviously give you it for cost, but I don't know what the end product is depending on which partner you go through. Yeah, I mean, that ecosystem, you know, what you're talking about there, it's 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 a big can of worms, isn't it, to open? You know, it, it boils down to 
the supplier ecosystem and all of those three parts you mentioned, you know, the distributors, the actual, uh, you know, technology company, um, and then you've got uh, the resellers as well. And all of a sudden, you've got margin upon margin upon margin based upon relationships. And it comes back to Jane knowing Fred. Uh, Jane works for the, you know, the reseller. Fred works for the actual company. And they're mates. And if they're mates, they're going to help each other. And you know what? It, it, the, that may work for them in that ecosystem. But the reality is the... The, you know, the impact of that margin being passed around and keeping it within your friends and uh, and within the family to say friends and family, let's call it that for the minute. You know, the only person or people who get affected by this is the end user and the client, because, you know, it's all about making the money on the money on the money internally. And that's the way it's always been for such a long time. Hence why I absolutely love this explosion of new vendors who are coming out with these subscription-based models and the prices are just there. They're there. You can buy them from us directly. They're there. You put your credit card in and off and away you go. How simple is that as opposed to, you know, this other methodology, this this traditional ecosystem we have? And I don't know, Chris, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I don't think it's going to change in a hurry. Um, you know, it, it, it's just way too complicated um for people outside of our ecosystem to even get their head around and i've tried to have this conversation with um you know clients and they say tinesh why can't you guys just go and find us the product and find us this and this and this i say because there's this ecosystem in this world that is you know you just talk to the end you you talk to the technology company but actually you can't buy directly from them you know why because you don't spend enough with them but if you did they may make an exception because then they'll let you buy direct otherwise you've got to go and buy from this selection of resellers but tanesh we don't have them on our books okay well you're going to have to get one of those on your books so we have to go and do due diligence on those resellers just for one particular product right so the reseller then turns around and says well actually we don't we we can't onboard this client because, you know, we we don't have that we don't have enough margin to give you because we weren't the first to the deal we weren't the first ones who found the steel and round and round we go right Chris I mean this is something you and I and a lot of the ecosystem could do and I'm sure if we got some vendors here and some resellers here it would make for an interesting debate maybe that's a good one for another show um, because you know I'm pretty certain they'd they'd have an opinion on this. That is, that's the hard truth, right? Ultimately, it's the client who always loses out. So would you say that customers have fundamentally changed their strategy nowadays when they're assessing and buying products and services? Now, I say this because probably by the time this episode airs, the other episode that I had with a really good friend of mine, Scott Fletcher, he spoke about when you're assessing vendors and doing vendor analysis and doing due diligence. And so I was like, is there a framework? Like what types of questions should people be asking? And from his point of view, working on multiple sides of the coin, he just sort of said, like, I just don't think people are doing that. So what's your sort of take on it now? Because, I mean, people are very aware of people say X and they do Y. So I think people are more sort of um, acutely aware of how they operate. Uh, so perhaps that does create a little bit of clouding of the judgment or because they know a mate of a mate who works in this firm or wherever. 
So I'm keen to hear your sort of thoughts around that because, again, there's more variety now. Uh, people want to be very transparent with what they get because sometimes as well with certain contracts, there's X hidden fees and there's all these types of things. So tell me everything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it, that, again, with, with you know, if there were a thousand yeah, that's a lot actually saying it out loud. But if there were like a three, four hundred vendors in the community, right? And that was our choice, I think, you know what, this wouldn't even be an issue because we kind of know who they are, we know what they are. And 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 in fact, if you look at the larger companies, larger enterprises, that is, they will always try and go to the large companies of the world or the large providers of the world because they I suppose they they tick those boxes and they get that transparency to some degree. Mind you, this large company I was talking about with the vaporware, they were pretty big. Um, so you know that kind of negates that point. But it you'll have that transparency. With a lot of the smaller vendors and the innovative and the newer vendors that are coming out of the, the gates and the traps right now, they are working so hard to provide that transparency with their costs, with their fees, uh, with their services, what they can and can't do. You know, they've, they've got customer success teams, which are there to help you on, on board uh, even before you've signed up. So you get a superb experience. And so there is a fundamental shift in the way that these newer vendors are coming into the market. And I, I really enjoy seeing it. I really enjoy talking to them because it, it, it's a, it's a fresh, it's a breath of fresh air because they're just doing their, they know they're in a very, very competitive market. It's a challenging market. They're up against so many other competitors who are very similar to them, you know, um, and they've got to provide that, um, you know, that clear conversation with the, uh, client without you know any hidden agenda and 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 the majority are doing that and I, and I like that and they're being transparent about it too um but unfortunately there is still um and there always will be i think you know um and i don't you know companies out there providers out there who will kind of say things say one thing and actually it's another and technically their product won't do what they says in the box and and sometimes it's not actually the company itself it's just the way that maybe the staff or the sales function um, have taken that message out to the user and maybe they've not really understood it. I, I know f firsthand how difficult it is, you know, trying to explain what my company does to my sales team for them to get it a hundred percent and be able to articulate that out to the end user. Now it's not my sales function's fault. It's just because I own the company. So if anyone's going to know, you know, my, you know, their product is going to be me because it was my idea. So, you know, it, it, I've lived and breathed it all day long. But if you look at some of these functions, even the technical functions, sometimes the product is so complex and convoluted. The technical functions, the, you know, the pre-sales get a little bit lost and that can then go in, you know, that can turn into a, a conversation which can end up pretty bad for the customer, right? Because they've bought this product and all of a sudden it doesn't work for them. So strategies for buying and looking for this stuff have changed. People are a lot more due diligent now. They're looking at, you know, with these security questions that questionnaires I refer to, they look at that kind of stuff, but they look at all sorts of things, right? They look at third party uh, um, information out there. They, 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 they'll watch and listen to you. Right. And they'll say, OK, well, I heard Carissa talking to so and so vendor and this was the conversation that was had. And, you know, does that give me any confidence? You know, would I want to talk to these people? So it, it the traditional methods. Yes, they're still there. You know, the procurement traditional methods. But if you look at the way the market's moving, people are using 
different strategies. Now, whether you buy a car, I would say this a car, a kettle, or a um, you know security product, you're going to be reading stuff, you're going to be listening to podcasts, you're going to be uh, on LinkedIn and following that company and seeing what the movements are. You're going to be diff- using different platforms who have information on these people. You're going to be taking a much broader approach to you know finding information on that company um, than you probably would have done a while ago, you know, a few years back, because there's so many of them and it's so fast and it's so complicated and you want a rounded opinion and a complete opinion rather on those suppliers, which extends beyond just the usual sort of sales and the marketing pitch. So yeah, I would 100% agree with you that that's the way it is going. Well, I mean, look, when people are buying a car, they already know what they want, right? Like no one's rocking up to a car yard and like, oh, which car do I want? It's like, you want to buy a Mercedes, you're buying a Mercedes, you're not buying a Hyundai. Like, so because people do their research online, they know what they want. They've looked at all the, I don't know, the bells and whistles that go with vehicles. I mean, when I bought Mm -hmm. my car originally, I knew exactly what I wanted. And it was like, this is the car I'm getting. So there is no deviation from it. So would you say, why doesn't that methodology apply to the security world? Now I say this because a car is not like it's $5. So if you make a mistake, it's okay. Like cars are very expensive. Like you don't want to go wrong with that. So I'm, I'm curious to understand from a behavioral science point of view, why aren't people doing their own research on how you and I would buy vehicles? You know, it, <laughs> I think it's just a lack of trust. And, and I hate to boil it down to that, but it's just a lack of trust. I think so many companies and individuals within those companies who moved around, have been around for a while, have probably had so many negative experiences um, with the supplier market that that fundamental lack of trust has gone. Um, and, and, you know, when, when you yeah, you're right. When you buy a car, it's probably simply because you kind of know what you want. But at least when you get there, there's choices and there's options and all of that stuff gets presented to you. Same thing with technology. You get presented all of that, but it, it sometimes is not it, – it's far from the truth. Do you, do you see what I mean? It, it's it's there to get the deal over the line, and, and that's where it creates complications. And we're now – and I'm, I've got to really be careful what I say here, right? But it's it, it, it could be because of lack of understanding from the salesperson. It could be a lack of understanding from the marketing function. It could be a lack of the language even used by the, the vendors on their open assets. So, for example, the websites may not reflect completely what the company does, and that's picked up by the users, uh, by the the – enterprises they go and then talk to these companies with you know what one lens on but actually it's something completely different and that breaks down the conversation and trust is broken it's you know security isn't like anything else right it's it's not like you're buying a printer right it's you have to get it right you have to build trust very quickly with these suppliers because if it doesn't work well you know what happens and and this is so repetitive and everybody says it and i'm kicking myself going down this route but it, it boils down to well you know you're going to have damaged reputation or sorry reputational damage you're going to have a fine some poor guy at the top is going to go to prison what you know all the usual sort of scary things but the, the reality of it is you know that it is there it does happen fines are handed out and they're getting bigger as we know and it's because you know there was just a massive misalignment in that basic initial conversation and the trust wasn't built and that trust wasn't you know it wasn't built because there wasn't enough of an in-depth conversation that took place with between the two uh, communities, right? So between the users and between the suppliers. And and I think that's 
I don't know why that is, if I'm honest, you know, I'm still trying to get my head around that. But I do know also, one thing I do know is that if they want to slow down a touch and, you know, really took their time, built in um, good practices when it came to buying this stuff and not just listening to Fred, but, you know, really thinking, do we really need this? Let's talk to everybody and anything, read every bit of content, watch every video and listen to every podcast as much as you possibly can before you make that call then at least you're going in there and also it's not just me Tanesh procurement it should be me Tanesh CISO me Tanesh program manager me Tanesh you know business own business function if all of us collectively and this does happen anyway you know in most cases with certain mature conversation uh, uh, enterprises that if they all get together and make that informed decision then that it mitigates that risk a lot quicker and and reduce the risk of you know those financial costs and those those problems that will come down the road when you have bought that expensive firewall and it's just being used as a a doorstop in a data center somewhere and by the way that's a completely true story um that last bit um a three hundred fifty thousand dollar server was bought and when we were walking through the data center i looked on the floor and i said is that a so-and-so data um server and they said yes we didn't know what it was it's been there for 10 years and we just use it as a door stop um just to keep this one big door open and that it just was mind-blowing wow like i mean they're one of the world's biggest companies but 350 grand on a door stop makes you think right so yeah so just to press on that point a little bit more, the lack of trust. So do you mm-hmm. think perhaps people, like you said before, like, I don't know, something goes wrong, top dog goes to prison, someone else is in question, this other person's fired and whatever else goes on. Do you think that perhaps people are afraid to be the decision maker, to pull the trigger because they don't want the responsibility, the buck to start and stop with them? Now, I say this because even me and my partner are booking a holiday, I might like, you book it because if he stuffs it up, to be fair, he did. I just blamed him for it. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want that stress. So it's easy, right? Because you're not the one that said we should go with X vendor, right? Because then it all ultimately falls back on you to justify it. And you've got to deal with the ramifications in picking up the pieces. Do you think there's a little bit of that there? Like, you know, no one wants to be fired because they bought some company that they thought was amazing because of the slideware and X, Y, and Z. Do you think there's a bit of that in there though? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, the best companies I've ever been involved with is where the decisions made by a collective of people and it's different people within the organization so uh like i said procurement manager you know poor guy or girl comes in one morning they get given uh, a job you know we're going to go and roll out next gen av technology whatever uh and then they have to go and talk to the you know the procurement team who say well hold on a second you know we've got x amount of providers why can't they do it because you know we need next gen and that's not next gen okay so then they get involved they build a criteria it's being driven by the business who want it because they need to start making some cost savings somewhere there's some businesses being impacted somewhere you've got the CISO who's got a billion things on their mind but you know what this is one of the things they have to do um in addition to everything else and they've you know they're the ones who are carrying the can ultimately are they that's the other question you know does it go up because a lot of CISOs aren't even on board uh, and that's a whole another another podcast I'm sure so you know it, the best ones I've worked with where I've sat in a room with a client there's one particular client I'm thinking of this was about four years ago and they had every single decision was made by a collective collective of people and it just you could see just everybody's you know you, you I think you just said a minute ago behavioral 
um, thought process or whatever it was, you just you could just see in everybody's face that there was no one single person who was sitting there thinking, crikey, if we buy this and it goes belly up, you know, I'm the one in trouble, right? Because it's 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 thought through, it's discussed, there's a plan, it's part of a phased rollout, you know, budget's been aligned, you know, it, it's there's third party influence coming into this. So it's not just the four people in the room, you know, there's external advice. It, it's a really well-tuned, informed decision that's made. And they're the best ones. But you and I know, as most of the people in a lot of probably listeners will know that's not the case because people don't have those support mechanisms around them in these in, in these companies and they're generally it's a it's it's a one decision maker and that poor soul has to go out and not only find this technology but then try and deliver it by you know cost effectively and and run with the whole thing and if it goes wrong well we all know what happens you know everybody knows somebody who got fired um, and and that's the sad truth of it, right? And it may not be because of breach. It may just be because it was just the wrong decision, quite simply, and it just didn't work, and it was cost. It wasn't efficient, and you know, it was expensive, and unfortunately, some soul lost their job. So yeah, I mean, crikey, I wouldn't want that job, Carissa. If I'm honest, I wouldn't want to be that guy or girl buying that that bit of kit or that service because crikey, I would be. I would want to be flanked by a whole bunch of you know people who know their stuff and we are all making that decision together and ultimately yes look it does go with the CISO and then maybe you know CTO if they report to the CTO or the CIO typically but you know it, it more than often it's not it's not that's not the Nirvana is never that yeah so true and I guess I don't know being an entrepreneur now a couple of years four or five years I'm very meticulous with things so for me it's like these are the checks and balances even if it's my own internal criteria these are the things that I need to see to feel comfortable working with X person or whatever it is or company. Uh, but I don't know if everyone thinks that way because at the end of the day, it's my business at the end of the day. It's mine. So if something happens, it's on me, right? But when you're working for a big company, there's 50,000 of you, your, your risk factor could go down a lot more because it's not your company at the end of the day that you've put your blood, sweat and tears into, which you can relate to. So on that note, I'd like to sort of switch gears a little bit and take this conversation for full circle and talk a little bit more about what you've developed. Talk to me about that. And what was the genesis behind what you've developed? Sure. So we're going to be talking about Jenny. <laughs> so Jenny is my own, I guess, it was a simple idea three, four years, three years ago as I was sitting on the sofa. And Jenny was created really initially to kind of, I wanted to create a single pane of glass, if you will, um, you know, where users of different shapes and sizes and flavors could come to the Jenny platform and find all of these cyber security providers. And there's lots of them. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you how many there are in a minute, but, and find information on them, you know, quietly without all of the sort of advertising, all of the opinions, all of the usual sort of noise and um, sales pitches and all of that kind of stuff uh, and make an informed decision, if you will. So Jenny started 12 months ago as a simple marketing platform and we used um, web crawling technology and supervised machine learning to go out and find these cybersecurity companies. And as of to date, she's, she's tracked and found over nine and a half thousand cybersecurity vendors. Um, so between you and me and all the listeners on the, on this podcast, um, We've had to stop Jenny. She's on pause at the moment because she continues to find between 10 to 15 new 
suppliers and vendors every single day. So you can imagine it, she's far exceeded where we thought she was going to kind of top out at sort of two, 3,000 vendors globally. But uh, to our surprise, she, she just continues to find more and more vendors. She started as a, a platform, which, you know, we, she was a marketing platform. We, we got in touch with these vendors. We, we created, um, well, Jenny would get in touch using her technology. She would find what their um, company did, uh, their services, a uh, high-level business description, and give them a profile page. And that's what we offered out to the market. And that's what she was. She was there to really help users cut through the noise and the confusion and really bring some clarity and assurance to the user. So that was 12 months ago. But, oh, boy, did the market have different ideas. And, you know, 12 months on and nine and a half thousand vendors in and, you know, thousands of different users. And when I say different users, what I mean by that is when I started, Jenny, I thought I would build this platform and my users would be IT security professionals. But you know, they're not. They are researchers, they're analysts. I've got VCs, I've got PEs, I've got uh, procurement managers, product managers, IT professionals, lawyers. I think I've even got an actor registered in there, but I think that's probably his board. So he put down an actor, he was an actor. But the thousands of users we have using the platform today to look and find information on these companies is so broad and it's so wide and it goes way beyond the simple use case that I had was, hey, I'm going to help the security market find you know, these providers and help them with some simple marketing information. So users was one big surprise. But the other thing the market forced us to do, and it's, I'm, I'm so glad they did, is they wanted more information on these vendors, not just the usual sales and marketing you know, uh, pitches and information that we, we normally get when we talk to you know, some of these vendors, they wanted financial information, you know, is this innovative, is this new company? How old is it? How many investors have they got? You know, all the financial information you possibly could want. It's easier for a larger company, right, Chris, because they're on some stock exchange somewhere and you can, you can find that information openly. But on the smaller companies, how do you validate that information? So they wanted stuff like that. They wanted information um, on the security posture of those companies. So, you know, asking us things like, well, can't you find out what their security posture looks like? If we're going to be using them to manage our own security, it would be a good idea if we can find out if there's any sort of third-party risk associated with them, if there's a threat entail problem, you know, is there anything we should be aware of with any employees of their sharing our data on the dark web? And, you know, sadly, it does happen, um, you know, and, and common vulnerabilities. And are there any open vulnerabilities out there on this company? So, we were asked to find information on that, and we've been building that in for for, for um, we've got a Jenny version two coming out in November. But these are the kind of things we we're looking for. They were we were being asked to find out: Do these companies have basic insurances in place? You're surprised how many vendors don't have the relevant basic insurance as a company, let alone as a cybersecurity provider. So, anti-bribery policy: Do they have a, a indemnity policy? Do they have the right professional um, um, services policy. So those basic stuff like that, which you think companies would have, but they didn't. And, you know, coming back to what you were saying a little while ago, these companies get so far down the line looking into these companies, but they fall down at some of the basic points. So we then get into the weeds of, okay, so we're no, we're now no longer a, 
marketing platform. Actually, what we are and what the market's asking us to become is a cyber business intelligence platform. And that's what Jenny's becoming. And when she comes out into the market, we don't just stop at that. We don't just stop at those two or three things that we mentioned. We are now going to be challenging the, the vendors themselves. Um, with your support, um, we are going to be challenging the vendors and doing what we call a technical challenger interview, where we cut through the marketing noise and we cut through the sales noise and we talk to their, you know, their CTO if he allows us the time, or we talk to their pre-sales if they give us the time, or they will, and to talk about what does your product really do and what are the true capabilities of that product or service, and let's just cut through all the you know, the, the, the fluff for, for want of a better word. I was thinking of something else then, but I thought I'd best be careful. But let's cut through all the fluff and, and let's get down to the nitty gritty because that's actually one what is uh, going to be valuable for those decision makers, those different users I've talked about to help them make a decision, an informed decision and a rounded decision on these companies. So Jenny is our way of building trust between the users um, providing information, relevant information, deep, insightful information and data. We collect something like there's 30 data points we collect on vendors. Um, it's all put under one pane of glass as a company. I'm just throwing out a company here, by the way. I'm not pitching anyone, but let's just take Kaspersky for the moment, right? Because they just popped into my head. We've been talking about AV companies. Kaspersky have a bunch of different products and solutions. They have the opportunity to come on board and showcase absolutely everything they do. You can find their uh, implementation guides, you can find their CSR policy, their graduate policy, their financial status, their security posture, uh, the challenger interview, um, their blogs, webinars, podcasts, every single thing you potentially would wanna know on that vendor, you can find it in their profile page, provided they've uploaded it and verified themselves on our platform. and. To us, once they've done that and they've gone through that exercise, and it's quite a long, slow, arduous process for them, but once they've done that, we give them what we call a, a verified badge or what we call internally as a Jenny badge, and I'm sure it's going to go out as a Jenny verified badge, and we put them in a category called verified category. And that basically means that they've gone through the process of furnishing us with everything you possibly want to know as a user to build that trust and saying, hey, look, we're going to tell you everything about us, you know, come and talk to us now. And as a user, think about it, you don't have to go to all of these different repositories, your different contacts, your different connects. In fact, you know what, hold on, you can actually, you can still go to those and you can still validate, but we would like people to use Jenny as maybe the third or the fourth point of information that will help them, you know, ideally the first point, if, if, if I'm honest, um, of point of call for them to go and find this information on these vendors before they press that contact technical or contact sales button because they've got everything they may want to make an informed decision. And we've built trust for them with clarity and with speed. So, you know, the average profile, um, the average vendor does spend, you know, a good month onboarding their information with us. If you think about it, that's quite a lot. And this was on JV1, so Jenny version one, Jenny version two. It will take a vendor at least a month to six to eight weeks if they do it properly to furnish us and our user community with all of that information. So if you think it takes them that long to furnish all of that information at one point, 
they've really gone out of their way to prove that they 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 do want to prove themselves they they do want to be verified they do want to build that trust with the user and and that's the goal of jenny it's really to kind of take which is make things which are really really complex right now and a little bit noisy and a little bit crowded and a little bit all over the place and really quite fundamentally just simplify it and and along the way you know we can build some trust that's jenny wow that's awesome very comprehensive get that validity at scale those types of things putting the power back in the user's hands they do their own reconnaissance work on a, a vendor or supplier or whoever and it's in the one location you don't have to sort of trawl through the internet to get bits and pieces and sort of mash them together so really love what you've built and there's a need for it uh because i've spoken to many customers that are like oh, where do i go where do i look like we don't know we would go with x company if we knew about them didn't know about them now there's an opportunity and there is an opportunity for smaller players out there uh because they do have great tech and perhaps they're missing out opportunities because they don't have million dollar budgets marketing budgets they've only got a fine amount of resources and money and and, and you know there's a reason why mcdonald's still advertises so I think that what you guys have done is awesome and I don't say that lightly and I'm looking forward to it and I really hope it's really going to change the way and transform the buyer's journey uh, to give people exactly what they want and what they need in ways that make sense, that's palatable and digestible. So thank you so much, Tanesh, for your time and I've really appreciated the chat and how honest and raw it was and the reality of the situation that's happening in our industry and i want this podcast to be direct and not sugarcoat things because we want people to ask real questions and get real answers so that's what this podcast is about so if people perhaps have a question for you that i didn't ask you today how can they go about getting in contact with you yeah sure i mean they can connect me via uh, linkedin and happily take any direct messages from there awesome well thanks so much Tanesh, for coming on the show and i look forward to getting you back Thank you for having me. Thanks, Carissa. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media the voice of cyber.